Hey guys, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, and today on the podcast, we have two very distinguished bow hunters. My co-host today is Bow Hunter Hall of Famer and Hoyt President Randy Walk, and our guest is one of the most widely recognized bow hunters in the history of our sport. He's authored 10 books and over 6,000 magazine articles. He has 197 entries in the Pope and Young Record books, and that's more than any other bow hunter. He's held Pope and Young records from Sitka Blacktail, Coos Whitetail, Mountain Caribou, American Bison, and American Elk. And once again, that's more world records than any other bow hunter ever. He's the youngest person ever inducted into all three major bow hunting related Hall of Fames. He's the first hunter to ever co- to complete the North American Super Slam with a bow. He's the man in the stocking cap. Everybody, welcome Chuck Adams to the podcast. Welcome, Chuck. Thank you. It's great to be with both of you guys today. Chuck, it's really good to have you join us today and uh, just super happy that we could get together and always love telling some hunting stories with you and sharing some of those great times. Thank you. I think the next hour hour is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Randy, you and Chuck have known each other for a while. You go back, don't you? We go back, uh, yeah, a number of years, maybe 30 or so years. We, uh, you know, when I was a young engineer working at Hoyt, uh, it was the first time I got to to meet Chuck, and he was on staff with the company at that time, and we were able to get together and do some projects together. So, yeah, we've known each other for a long time. Have you guys spent any time in hunting camp? We have. Uh, uh, we spent several weeks in Africa together a few years ago, Uh We've been on three caribou hunts in North America. Uh, they've all been a blast. And I will say, unlike uh, something I can say about every person in the archery industry, Randy Walk is a hardcore hunter. You're hard pressed to keep up with him in the hills. Uh, he's a crack shot and he takes care of himself. There's no babysitting with this guy. If anything, he's cooking dinner for you at the end of the day. Well, I've said for a long time, if you're if you're working in the bow hunting industry, there is no uh, there is no substitute for that perspective that you get as a true enthusiast. And I think that it's really important uh, for a guy like Randy to have that perspective. And and we see it in in Hoyt's products all the time. Well, Chuck, I wanted to uh, I wanted to say to you what a privilege it is for me to talk to you. I was uh, I was thinking about this and. You know, as as a kid, I was given a hand-me-down bow, but the first bow that I ever bought for myself was in a little bow shop in Virginia when I was in the military. My first year in the military, I was early 20s, and I walk into this pro shop, and literally, this is probably a year or two after you completed the Super Slam, and every single poster on their wall had Chuck Adams on it, and and when I bought that bow... They gave me there was a there was a flyer that came with it. It was like a a, a, a small poster that I hung uh, on my in my barracks that had you and that brown bear in it. So like this is a <laughs> this is a pretty cool moment for me just to be able to interview you, man. I I, I appreciate it. And so so tell us how uh, how did you get into bow hunting? Did you start out a bow hunter or you know what what were your early days like? Well, Danny, uh, uh, believe it or not, I'm still the only bow hunter in my entire family. Uh, I grew up with uh, two grandfathers and a dad who loved to hunt with guns. 
Uh, I was in Northern California where uh, at the most we'd get two deer tags a year and quite often only one depending on uh, the year. And uh, uh, what the problem was, my granddads and my dad, I think, had uh, taught me too well and taken me to too good of places uh, to fill my deer tags. So I dreamed about deer hunting with a gun yeah. all year long. And within a few days, uh, my tag was filled and I had to uh, dream for another whole year before I went hunting again. And uh, uh, when I shot my first buck with a rifle at age 12, it was great. But uh, at age 13, I decided uh, that I would like to hunt more and kill less and extend my season in California. Mm -hmm. So uh, I purchased my first recurve bow, an old Ben Pearson hunter, and uh, beat my head against the wall for three years before I shot my first uh, deer with a bow. Uh, but uh, uh, once I got that first deer, it was all over for me. Uh, uh, the only thing I wanted to do was bow hunt. So how did that go over with your with your father and your grandfather, right? Seeing you take on this much more significant challenge, right? As opposed to the way, you know, that they grew up and and, and hunted and, and introduced you to the sport. And then you exited quickly and went to the hardcore bow and arrow. Oh, they were all supportive. Uh, uh, and I even tried to get my dad uh, to take up bow hunting with me. Uh, uh, we had some good blacktail deer habitat near my home in Northern California. And so uh, I got pop set up with a recurve bow. There was no such thing as a compound bow back then. And uh, uh, I was watching him one day on a hillside uh, stock at a three point uh, blacktail buck. He got within bow range. And then I was astonished when he just turned around and walked away. <laughs> and, 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 and when we got back to the vehicle, uh, which was an old military Jeep uh, at that time, I asked him, I said, what happened over there? It looked like you had that deer. And, and he, he, he looked really sheepish and kicked the ground with his toe. And he said, you know, I was afraid I might shoot that deer and then I wouldn't have a tag for gun season. <laughs> and that's the last time that's the last time Pop ever went bow hunting with me from from then on. It was it was me by myself or with other archery friends I met at the local archery club. <laughs> but for you, it was different. <laughs> it was different. It was different. Even even when I was nine years old, I bought a, a little Winchester 22 rifle with lawnmower mon money that uh, I collected over several years. And uh, uh, meanwhile, Pop was shooting these uh, long range uh, rifles like 220 Swifts and 22 250s and uh, blasting the uh, local uh, California ground squirrel population in almond orchards where the the uh, orchard owners just loved it because these little critters were eating up their profits. Uh, I always preferred to sneak around with that little 22 and get as close as I could. Uh, so Pop and I were different from the get-go, uh, just a different mindset. I liked the close-up and personal approach, and bow hunting satisfied like that like nothing else ever did. Right, right. So was blacktail your was was that the first animal you ever took? Do you, do you remember that specific hunt? Oh, I, I do. Uh, 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 I spot and stock deer. You couldn't tree stand hunt those deer. They were too erratic. So uh, it was the school of hard knocks when it came to bow hunting those blacktails. You had to do it on the ground. Uh, 
but uh, eventually uh after three years of trying i got uh close to this little two by two buck uh made a good shot with my old wing thunderbird recurve bow uh and uh uh i was doing backflips uh you know it, it wasn't a big deer but asked me if i cared uh uh it had taken me a long long time uh, to get that deer found out later that my boyhood hero fred bear had also taken three years before he shot his first white-tailed deer with a bow uh and uh so i felt like i was in pretty good company at that that point <laughs> <laughs> well um so from that point when did you start to get a little bit more serious about bow hunting i mean you went from you went from that kid that shot his first his first blacktail there and you know years later you're the first man to ever complete the super slam with a bow tell us a little bit about that transition from just playing around with your bow to to becoming more serious and 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 uh starting to get good at it well of course as a teenager i didn't have much money i worked every summer uh mostly uh, with my grandfather's uh, plumbing business uh doing the grunt work like digging ditches and whatnot so i didn't have a lot of money to spare so i uh, stayed local until i got out of college in my early 20s uh hunting black bear and deer locally but uh uh, once I decided uh, at age 23 that I really didn't want to teach college uh, English like I had been for a year uh, because uh, bow season and uh, college started about the same time. And that just didn't work out for me. Yeah. I went and did what I really wanted to do from the time I was a kid. And that was become a, an outdoor magazine writer. And uh, so I hired on with Peterson Publishing Company about six months after they started Peterson's Hunting Magazine as an associate editor. I went to Los Angeles, California for two years, uh, which was not one of my favorite experiences, I can guarantee you. But when I came out, I was busier uh, than I ever thought I would be writing uh, freelance for various magazines. And I also had enough money to start going on other trips, uh, like for Canada moose and, and uh, various caribou and whatnot, partly because it was something I always wanted to do, partly because I needed material to write magazine articles. So there are only so, so many articles you can write on, on black bear and uh, California blacktail deer. Right. So that's when I started expanding, expanding my uh, horizons. So when, at what point, you know, this, this, this super slam accomplishment and you being the first one is such a big part of your career and such a big part. It's become a big part of our sports history. And uh, wh when was the first time you started thinking, man, maybe I, maybe I ought to think about doing that. Well, in the, in the, in the mid 1980s, I was sitting in my office one day and uh, you got to understand that uh, having been an avid magazine reader my whole life, I knew about the first gun hunters who had taken all North American varieties of big game. Elgin Gates uh, was the first. Grantsel Fitz was the second. Both of those guys wrote magazine articles for uh, publications like Outdoor Life magazine. So I was well aware. I was sitting in my office and it suddenly dawned on me that I was about halfway to what ultimately was called the Super Slam of North American Big Game. Yeah. Um, 
And I thought, you know what? I love variety. I need variety. So I have more things to write about. Why don't I go ahead and try to get all the other animals I haven't gotten yet in North America? So then I was on a mission uh, and I was on that mission for uh, about five years before I finally finished the Super Slam. Well, why don't you tell us about the animals that were hardest to take during that Super Slam? Well, I think the the coos whitetail uh, from the desert southwest is the most difficult animal in North America. Uh, there are some others like big mule deer and big standard whitetails that come close, but uh, the coos deer is uh, pretty thinly populated in his desert environment, so he's tough to find. He's chased by mountain lions every day of his life. Um, uh, he, he's a he's a basic small whitetail, and everybody knows how spooky they are. Uh, most often, you have to hunt these deer on the ground in in very dry, very crunchy, very noisy country with bushes that don't give an inch without making noise. And so uh, I think that's the most difficult animal. Uh, I went on my first coos deer hunt in 1989. And I knew before I went what a former president of Pope and Young Record Club had said about coos deer. Mm -hmm. He'd been there in Arizona where I was hunting a couple of years earlier. He came back after three weeks and not even drawing his bow back on a coos deer, telling everybody he thought any coos deer with two ears and a skull should be eligible for the Pope and Young Record Book. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I knew what I was up against. Fortunately. Uh, I had a great hunt, and uh, I actually ended up taking the uh, typical world record uh, in the coos deer category with my bow on that trip. Uh, on your first it, coos deer hunt? On my first coos deer hunt, yes, sir. Um, oh, wow. and, and I'm not going to tell you I did it on purpose. Um, <laughs> I was chasing, I was on the southern San Carlos Indian Reservation where they had uh, uh, archery tags at that time. Sure. And I chased around a deer that made the one I shot look kind of small. Oh. Uh, it, it was a non-typical that branched like a mule deer with double forks, massive antlers. I figured it'd go 120 inches uh, with without any trouble, gross score. That deer made a total idiot out of me for a couple of weeks. I couldn't get within bow range. And one day I was glassing and found this other typical deer. Uh, stocked in and uh, got my shot the very first time. So just go figure that. Wow. Well, I, I was sitting here kind of, you, you were kind of pumping my tires a little bit. Uh, I've been on three coos deer hunts. I'll do it yourself on public ground and they have whipped my tail. Um, and you were sitting here saying they're the toughest animal on the continent to hunt and I'm feeling good about myself. And then you break it on my <laughs> first coos deer hunt. I shoot the world record. <laughs> well, like they say that old saying, even a blind hog finds, a uh, an acorn once in a while, I was yeah. looking for any branch antler buck and I wanted that, that, uh, non-typical in the worst sort of way. So I did pass up a few smaller deer in the process, but, um, uh, I did not deliberately find that, uh, world record deer. He scored a little over 110 and I didn't honestly even know what I was looking at when I shot him. I had no idea that he was going to be that big. Wow. 
Wow. Well, I, I, I would say for a blind squirrel, you've found a, a nut or two over your career. So <laughs> were, were coos deer, were coos deer the, the nemesis on this, uh, on this quest for, for the, the grand slam or the super slam? No, actually, uh, uh, it's hard to believe Danny, but, uh, the only animal I had to go after more than once, uh, was a mountain lion. And I went on four mountain lion hunts. That was the last uh, variety of game I had to take to complete the super slam. So, so wait a minute. Uh, so I, I kind of, I kind of, I want to clarify what you just said. There was only uh, one animal that you had to go back on a second trip for. There was. That's that's correct. And, and you got to understand. I, I I was not. Here's I, I was what you not, really have to understand, if I, if I may. What, Danny, what you have to understand is you're talking to Chuck Adams. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting that. I'm getting that right now. Well, I was a I was not a wealthy guy, and uh, uh, even back then, uh, some of those hunts were pretty spendy. I had to go to the bank and get loans for a couple of the more expensive animals I wanted. So I did two things. I tried to arrange for extended trips. Uh, for example, on that big brown bear you mentioned, uh, Brent Jones in Alaska offered two fall hunts a year. Mm -hmm. And I called Brent. There were 10 days apiece with a day in between. I called Brent and I said, is there any way I can bring a gun hunting friend of mine along and let him take first crack at brown bears, but let me hunt across both of those two 10 day hunts. So I have a better chance of taking my brown bear. Yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal to Brandt. He got his money either way, so he had said, sure. My old friend Larry Hethington shot his brown bear on the third day, and, and that gave me 17 more days to hunt with Brandt. Uh, I was doing, uh, number one, uh, arranging longer hunts, and then I was researching like crazy to make sure I went to the best possible places the first time. Sure. And as it turned out, it worked. It worked. Wow. Wow. So, okay. Except for, the, I, mountain, except for the mountain lion. I was about to I, say, I, I cut the, you off there. That was the <laughs> one you had to no. go back twice for. Well, I was a little lackadaisical about the mountain lion because I thought, oh, you know, you go out with a hound, a hunter, he puts it up in a tree, you shoot it. Uh, this, this is going to be one of the easier trips. Well, it didn't turn out that way. Uh, the first time I went was to Arizona. Uh, it was a dry ground hunt. Uh, basically, we got a little snow. It melted off. We never could uh, catch up with a cat uh, whose tracks we found. The second time I went to Arizona again, uh, and uh, I found out my outfitter that time had the best darn deer dogs in Arizona. <laughs> and after trying to gather up dogs for several days, I left. Third hunt, we found a huge track in uh, uh, in Idaho. But that lion walked into an Indian reservation where I couldn't follow, and that hunt was over. Finally, on the fourth hunt in uh, southern Idaho, we found not one but seven mountain lion tracks. The first morning, we put the dogs on the biggest one, and which was not a very big cat, by the way, but uh, it was all mine when it ended up in the tree, right. uh, and I bagged it. Outstanding. So was that, was that the last animal on the super slam quest it was and i can tell you it was uh 
January 4th, 1990. I'll never forget that day. Wow. Wow. And so, so how did life change for you after completing that thing? And have you, have you had any, uh, aspirations of going after it again? You know, uh, my life didn't change all that much, uh, except there were a lot of accolades after that that I, I didn't totally anticipate. It was a personal quest for me and an ability uh, to enhance my writing. Uh, but um, uh, suddenly, uh, folks like Mike Anderson at Grand Ledge, Michigan, were calling me to do seminars. Um, Companies like Hoyt, uh, who I'd been associated with prior to that, I was writing a magazine uh, or, or, excuse me, catalog copy and taking photos uh, for the company uh, to a minor degree. Uh, they decided they wanted to come out with a bow called Super Slam. Uh, and uh, so things did, uh, did kind of explode in my career uh, after that. But... Uh, I was writing up to 200 magazine articles a year prior to that. So I must say I was pretty well known before that just because I was in every darn publication in the country. So Dan, the, other, the, the other question you asked me was uh, uh, also about the Super Slam. If I plan to go back again yeah. and try for another one, I have about 20 of the 29 uh, animals uh, recognized by Pope and Young uh, for a second Super Slam. I can honestly tell you I will will not get another Super Slam. Uh, the, some of those hunts were expensive enough uh, 30 years ago. Uh, they're exorbitantly expensive now. I just don't think some of the animals uh, are worth the money expended. Uh, right. The stone sheep, for example, is five, about five times more expensive to hunt now than it was uh, when I shot my stone sheep in the mid 1980s. Right, right, and wow. I, I can relate. What were you going to say, Randy? Well, I was going to, uh, I was going to remind you when you when you opened and you talked about being a young lad and, and seeing that big brown bear photo uh, yeah. poster that was everywhere. I think if I'm not mistaken, that was, that was kind of Hoyt's and Chuck's uh, collaborative effort there and putting that poster together, um, kind of celebrating his super slam. I think that was the first kind of big super slam introduction was that big brown bear poster, if I'm not mistaken, Chuck. It absolutely was. And, and uh, uh, Pete Shepley at PSE tells people to this day that that's the most famous photograph in, in all of bow hunting. Uh, I don't know about that, but it sure has been around a lot. And uh, that poster, uh, after it ran uh, uh, in the circuit with Hoyt, the North American Hunting Club, which was the biggest hunting club in the country back in the 90s, uh, gave that poster away free to uh, new members. And they distribute over half a million of those posters just as part of that project. So there are an awful lot of those posters out there. I still sign the old folded up ones at sports <laughs> shows that folks got in the 90s from the North American Hunting Club. It sticks out in my mind vividly. Um, it it mm -hmm. really does. And um, so. <laughs> Randy, um, with the Super Slam bow, because I remember that bow, um, and I remember the advertisements with that bow. Were you at Hoyt when you guys did that? 
Yeah, that was uh, that was actually the first project that Chuck and I. It's it's the project that put Chuck and I together, and I was the engineer, did, did the design work and engineering work on that bow. Collaborated with Chuck. He was the 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 shooter advisor, bow hunter advisor on that project. Uh, project, and we worked together on that. And and um, yeah, so that was. That was kind of the beginning of my career at Hoyt as well in many ways. I'd been at Hoyt for a few years earlier than that, but that was a big project for me to take on. And and thankfully, the company at that time um, entrusted me in that project and partnered me up with, with a guy like Chuck so we could get it done. But one of the all-time best-selling, greatest success stories that Hoyt has had with a single particular product uh, it was a fantastic project. We had a lot of fun together. Right. And I um, love that bow too. Uh, I, I know I went to Africa shortly after uh, uh, Hoyt gave me some prototypes. And uh, if memory serves me correctly, I shot over seventy-five critters in Zimbabwe with that bow in, during two hunts, um, including a, a Cape buffalo. Uh, I just love that bow. Wow. Um, well, I, I can I can remember it for sure. So I want to talk to you, Chuck, about some of these. The number of Pope and Young entries that you have is amazing. If if anyone has ever picked up a Pope and, Pope and Young Bowhunting uh, Game Records of North America book and looked through it, you're going to see Chuck's name a lot. And I don't know how many uh, the the is it Frank Noska who has the the second most Pope, Pope and Young entries now, but I think yeah, he's, yeah, a, he's yeah. behind you. It is Frank Noska, a guy who I really like and respect, As but he's are. constantly reminding me that he's breathing down my neck, <laughs> which I, which I don't can't I can tell you I don't always appreciate. But uh, <laughs> last time, last time I checked, Frank was about fifty animals behind me, and one of his uh, widely stated goals is he's going to uh, beat my record at some point, and I just laugh at him because. Uh, uh, Given the fact that I'm still hunting as hard as ever and uh, hopefully will be for a long time to come, uh, I, I figure I'm going to be a very old man before he does catch that record. Uh, he's, he's younger than me. Uh, he's, he's a single guy. I think you told me, Danny, that he has a serious girlfriend now. Yeah, so that might maybe, slow him down a little bit. That might slow him down a little bit. I can tell you when I, when, when I married Greta uh, a few years ago, uh, my priorities changed and I started loving uh, family life a lot more than when I really didn't have a family uh, at home. And uh, uh, so that can change things a lot. Uh, it changes priorities. but. Uh, Greta goes with me and uh, on a lot of these hunts and she's got better game eyes than I do. And so yeah. I'm in pretty good shape to stay ahead of Nasca for a long time. <laughs> well, if I were you, I'd be sending, uh, I'd be sending his girlfriend's roses on his behalf and things like that. Just trying to more and more. <laughs> well, you know, uh, 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 records are meant to be broken. Yeah. And uh, for example, I, I have taken, uh, five Pope and Young World Records. I've been very fortunate to do that. Um, and all of those have been eclipsed at some point after I took them. And that's what records are all about. They're meant to be broken. So, uh, uh, you know, if, if that record gets broken and I'm my, my fondest dream when I was fairly young was I, I told myself, you know, 
I'd like to take 200 Pope and Youngs in my life. And it wasn't anything to do with, with work or publicity. It was just a personal goal. It's just and, your uh, challenge to yourself. Uh, yeah, and now I'm looking at maybe, maybe possibly 300 if I'm lucky. Uh, so uh, uh, that record might be a little tough to beat, but I think somebody like Frank will beat it. I think the one record that I honestly don't think will ever be beat is those five world records. Uh, the late, great Fred Bear uh, broke existing world records with his bow twice. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure anybody else uh, has done it more than once, but I've been told nobody else has done it more than twice. And, and as you know, the numbers keep going up uh, yeah. in a 15, in a 15 year span, I broke world records five times. I have not broken a world record uh, the last 20 years. And the reason is uh, the numbers are so high. Uh, Pete Shepley had the world record uh, bison, for example, uh, back uh, in, in the 1990s with a score of around 115, which is Boone and Crockett size. And I not, not always have done this, but I thought I could deliberately break that world record with enough time and energy in the right spot. And I did in the year 2000 with a bison that scored a little over 118. Well, a couple of years after that, Corky Richardson, an outfitter in Arizona and a member of the PSE staff, went within uh, half a mile of where I shot my world record bison. He shot one that scores over 129. I don't think that record is likely ever to be broken. So, um, but I don't believe anybody in the future will be able to, to break the world record five times because the numbers are simply too high. Well, wow. Of all those world records, and, and forgive me, Chuck, but I, I thought that your elk world record came, it wasn't in the mid-2000s? I shot, get this, I, I broke the world record on American bison and the world record on American elk uh, the same year, the year 2000. Oh, uh, I thought it was later uh, than Just that. Total, total happenstance. Now, I will tell you, three of those five world records, I deliberately tried to break because I thought the, the possibility was there. My right. Sitka blacktail deer in uh, 1986, uh, I, I, I went back to Kodiak Island until I found a buck I thought could break it. I actually broke the world record twice in two days. I shot two deer that broke the world existing world record, and the biggest one became the new world record. Um, the mountain caribou in 1995 uh, uh, was another one. It was a big, big world record, but I thought, you know, there's bigger ones around. I hunted uh, for 10 straight years uh, from 1985 to 1995 to uh, try to break that world record, and I finally did. And uh, the bison was the same way. I, I thought it could be beat. But the other two, the coos whitetail and that Yellowstone elk, were pure happenstance. Uh, I, I never thought I'd ever see a critter that big. Uh, and 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 not didn't even think about breaking the world record. Wow, uh, do you think there's any that are susceptible today, or all of them too high now to where it's just a complete and total crapshoot? 
I kind of hate to say because there is one I'm still trying to break. <laughs> <laughs> well, offer up the goods, Chuck. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when when Peterson's publishing uh, 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 told everybody in a magazine the year before I got the Super Slam that I would probably finish it in 1990. Uh huh. Um, that that brought people out of the woodwork with lots more money than I have who are trying to beat me. And one one of those guys, I, I've been told, went on four grizzly bear hunts one year trying to beat me. Uh, and he, he finally finished his Super Slam, the second one in history, nine months after me. So, you know, if I if I start talking too much about my projects, I might get my water, <laughs> my water cut off, you know. <laughs> no. I, OK, I, I, you know what? I, I'm so happy that uh, other folks are enjoying bow hunting, hopefully as much as I always have. I think the Sitka blacktail deer uh, record uh, is beatable at this point. Uh, that's about the only one. Yeah. Uh, it used to be the woodland caribou uh, was was reachable, I thought, but there was a bomber shot a while back that uh, uh, makes that very tough. And then you probably, I'm sure you know about the, the new world record uh, Yellowstone elk or American elk. Uh, uh, it was shot within a hundred miles of where I shot mine in the year 2000. That mine, mine net scored uh, 209 or uh, what am I talking about? 409 and a few eights. That new world record scores just under 430 net. Oh, uh, that's a typical seven by seven bull shot by a, a, a gentleman from Montana who had no idea what he had. Yeah. But uh, I would defy anybody to claim that anybody's ever going to break that world record. That's like in the top five all time for Boone and Crockett and bow hunting. Right. So, yeah, right. that's what's happening. And that's great. You know, I mean, records aren't everything. World records aren't everything. Uh, and Pope and Young records aren't everything either. I think uh, the only reason I trophy hunt, I know Randy's a serious trophy hunter, too. And I've talked to him a lot about it. And the reason we trophy hunt is for the process, not the animal at the end. We love big antlers, but um, I, I, and, and all three of us have talked about this before. I think there's a misemphasis these days uh, based in part on TV shows that that big set antlers is the be all end all of the hunt. And, and right. as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's the same reason I took up bow hunting instead of uh, continuing with a gun. Trying yeah. to get a big animal just lets me hunt more time. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so often I think Chuck and I share this it, so often the you know, the trophy that we end up with just the biggest isn't always our best hunt or our, or our funnest hunt, you know, and I, I think it's the situation, the animal, the difficulty of the hunt, you know, the length of the hunt, it, just the challenges that come with that will make any animal a super trophy in my book. Right. Right. R R Randy's told me before that, you know, some people, I'd ask him why he's never shot a mule deer over 200 inches. Well, I've got, I'm here to tell you, Randy Walk is uh, the best uh, mule deer hunter I know with a bow. Mm -hmm. And uh, but the thing is, he doesn't go to private property that's been pre-scouted. Uh, mm -hmm. He doesn't pay gigantic uh, amounts of money. Uh, 
to uh, hunt mule deer that might never have seen a bow hunter before. He goes out in parts of Utah where he lives and he chases the truly wild, uh, difficult animals. And uh, I've seen some of the bucks that Randy shot and they're awesome bucks. And, and the size is beside the point. Right. Well, which is something to truly be respected. Um, and it's, well, it's, it's, all, it's at the end of the day, it's all about doing what you love to do and doing it the way you want to do it and please yourself first. Right. I mean, make those experiences work for you first and foremost. And, and I just, I, I the, the real reason that I've never shot a 200 inch buck is because when I get a 175 inch buck in front of me, <laughs> I like to shoot arrows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. So, uh, Chuck, you've if you could choose which one was going to be your 200th, because that's kind of a a milestone. 200 Pope and Young animals. What do you want it to be? And what's your what's your favorite animal to hunt? What, if, if I'm asked all the time, if you could only hunt one thing from here on out, what's it going to be? So what what would it be for Chuck Adams? Well, the answer is the same uh, to both questions. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be a, a, a bull elk because uh, I love elk hunting more than any other type of hunting. Uh, you know, an elk offers everything. He's big. He's got gorgeous antlers if he's mature. Uh, he makes more exciting noise in the woods than, than any other critter during the rut. Uh, he lives in, in terrain that is absolutely awesome. Uh, uh, he makes you climb until your legs feel like they're going to fall off. Uh, it all comes together. Uh, as, as the ultimate experience for me. And then elk meat. I just love elk meat on the grill. Uh, it just can't be beat. And I'm hoping, uh, you never know what happens, but, uh, you know, I have seven primo uh, big game tags for the month of September here, uh, which is only less than a week away. And uh, uh, three of those are pronghorn antelope tags, two in Wyoming, one in Montana. What I'm going to try to do is bag two uh, Pope and Young antelope uh, toward the beginning of September. And then I'm going to concentrate on elk. I, I've got a tag in a good unit, and I'm hoping that 200th animal will be a bull elk. Well, good for you, and agree and agree and agree with everything that you just said. And in my opinion, these these people that place mule deer on a pedestal above elk, not only are they wrong, they're a little bit foolish. But it, it, what do you have to say about that, Randy? Well, I think me and you're going to have to have an arm wrestle is what I think. <laughs> I'm, I'm an elk guy, Chuck, for all the reasons that you just talked about. And uh, yeah. I'm, I'm certainly not as accomplished an elk hunter as you, but I, I, everything that you talk about with the interaction and where they live and, and, and what they do and how majestic they are and how impressive they are when they're on the, when they're on the ground is, is part of why I love them so much. And I'd, I'd be tickled to death to see you take your, your 200th being elk and, and, uh, and, uh, get close to that, uh, get close to that world record again someday. But what were you going to say, Randy, about it? <laughs> well, I was just, I was just thinking about this idea where the two of you are, you know, really put elk <laughs> on the pedestal and I haven't, I mean, I loved elk hunt and, yeah. and I, I, I elk hunt every year and, and and uh, and all the things you said about elk hunting is is absolutely true. But I guess maybe the reason that I still put mule deer on that pedestal is because of the three of us. I think I'm the only guy who hasn't shot a 200 inch mule deer yet. 
<laughs> well, I think there's another. I think there's another reason, uh, Randy, saying that. And he, you'll notice that I didn't say elk was the most difficult animal. I, no. I think, uh, all things considered, a big mature mule deer is more difficult to take with a bow than a big elk. Uh, you know, big elk is uh, hamstrung by the rut, which is when you normally hunt them. Um, if you're spotting stalking mule deer. They're always in a bachelor buddy bunch, it seems. They're all facing different directions. Um, uh, that's a more difficult challenge. Uh, I, I would readily admit that. Um, and, and big deer for me, uh, I'm not going to arm wrestle Randy. I'm, I'm sure I'd lose. But uh, uh, the, the uh, a big deer for me are a close second uh, to yeah. elk. Uh, but, but, but I think big deer, and I don't care if it's a whitetail or a blacktail, or uh, a mule deer, uh, I think they're more difficult than an elk, all things considered. Uh, I would agree. I don't. I don't necessarily think elk are the most difficult. I just consider them to be the king of anticipation. And there's something about that animal that tells you, "Here I come, here I come, here I come." Before you can ever see it, and all of a sudden, you're you're feeling the vibrations of that call under your feet and on the back of your neck, and Nothing else does that to you in my book. Nothing I've ever hunted. I didn't know you were a poet, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it does to me, man. I mean, yeah. you know, unfortunately, yeah. it's caused me to melt down a couple times uh, more than I care to talk about. But, you know, there is no other animal that does that to me out there. You know, uh, I'm. Yeah. I'm much better off if uh, if if something just happens and all of a sudden, boom, they're there and I've got to just execute um, mm. when I hear them coming and telling me, here I come, here I come, here I come. It's just time for my wee little brain to start coming apart. Um, and, yeah. you know, I I love having to fight that. Mm hmm. Oh, it's all good. I mean, it's all good. Uh, uh, there's not one of those 29 varieties of big game in North America uh, that doesn't offer something uh, really special to a bow hunter. Yeah, well, that leads me to a, a question that I had for you, Chuck. I read something that was written in Life at Full Draw, the Chuck Adams story. And I know that that was uh, that was authored by Greg Gutschow. Um, but in there, there was a passage where it said there were a couple of critters that you don't you, you don't necessarily care whether you go after them again. Um, mm -hmm. you, you know, it was like something that you enjoyed the experience, but one was one time was enough. And it mm -hmm. you didn't elaborate in there on on what those were. Can you recall? Oh, I do recall. And I and I run the risk of upsetting some folks by even saying because. Uh, well, that's okay. I the, upset people all the time, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, like I said, every every animal's valuable for one reason or another. But um, to be honest with you, I have no desire to go hunt a wild sheep again. Uh, that's going to blow some people's mind. Uh, but uh, uh, I have the same opinion that the second guy who shot the super slam with a gun way back in the early 1950s, Grancel Fitz. He was also uh -huh. a writer. He wrote an article called The Great Pretender for one of the big magazines. And he said he didn't care if he ever hunted sheep again because they were the king of the mountain. They were gorgeous, but they were stupid. And uh, mm. 
Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but I will tell you, uh, I decided to go for a Grand Slam on sheep in the, the 1980s. I shot my doll sheep the first day I saw a doll sheep, and it was a record book ram. I shot mm-hmm. my stone sheep the first day I hunted, and it was a record book ram, both of them over 10 years old, according to the, to, to the fish and game. Um, I shot my desert sheep in three days uh, after the very first stock I made when we found a decent uh, uh, legal ram. Uh, the only sheep I had trouble with was the Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep, and that was all weather-related and terrain-related. It was uh, 31 degrees below zero uh, in the Canmore, Alberta area when I shot that sheep. My guide and I were camping on a little ledge at 2,000 feet above the valley to get ahead of all the local hunters. Uh, It was tough for the weather, but my impression of those sheep was no different than the other sheep. Uh, They were just not that difficult if you were in good physical shape. Uh, I've shot two dull sheep. Um, I shot an even nicer one in in, in the mid-1990s. Uh, with my old friend Dwayne Nelson, an outfitter in the Northwest Territories at the time, I bagged that sheep the, the very first day I hunted with a bow. Mm. So mm-hmm. it's going to upset some people because, as you know, sheep, Jack O'Connor, the, the late great uh, uh, gun writer, um, put sheep on the map as being wonderful animals. But even O'Connor talks about in his books how he would shoot a, a big ram and have the rest of the rams in the band stand around within 100 yards and watch him gut his sheep. And so right. uh, given b- between that and the fact that it's so darn expensive to hunt sheep because it's a real status thing now with, uh, with wealthy uh, hunters, um, I don't think I'd ever want to hunt another sheep. And the other one is the musk ox. Uh, I've hunted musk ox uh, in November when it was an honest to goodness 68 below zero degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, we saw the top of the sun for three hours the day I shot my musk ox. I don't ever want to do that again. If I hadn't had that uh, Hoyt game getter bow with solid fiberglass limbs, I'm sure my bow would have blown apart uh, when I drew it. Um, and then I had the for- good fortune uh, in, in uh, I think it was, uh, 2002 to shoot a uh, musk ox during the summertime rut. Uh, and that was right. a totally different hunt. The bugs were terrible, uh, but uh, I didn't find musk oxen to be particularly bright or particularly spooky. So those are, those are the two types of animals I, I just don't care to go back after. And two of them seem to be really directly related to negative zero degrees temperatures. <laughs> you must not like the cold that much. That's funny coming from a guy that lives in windy Wyoming. Well, nobody said I was the smartest guy on the planet. <laughs> I like well, windy gonna... Wyoming. I like windy Wyoming because there are five people per square mile in the state, fewer than any other uh state state in the union and the hunting is really good but uh yeah i could tell you my favorite hunt is uh the kind of hunt i i enjoyed when i was in california where daytime temperatures are at, you know 70 or 80 degrees. 80 degrees yeah, the fingers degrees, you know yeah. everything works better particularly at my age 
<laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to shift gears on you just a little bit. You've been at this All for right. a long time, and Randy, so have you. And I want you to pipe in when it, with anything that you have to add to this. But uh, I'll, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm ten years younger than Randy. I was born in 1972, um, and a lot has changed since I've been around the industry and since i've been bow hunting for you guys you've watched a lot of things change and uh tell me a little bit about what's changed and what you like about what's changed and what you don't like one thing i really like is the improvement in equipment uh uh you go back to the beginning of modern bow hunting with uh art young and saxon pope uh and chief will compton uh those guys wouldn't even string their their longbows uh, until they got close to the animals that were stalking because they were afraid the cast of the limbs would change. Uh, uh, I mean, that's laughable today. They, they numbered their arrows because every wooden arrow hit a different place. So they memorized where every arrow would hit and, and then they went hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, then Doug, pioneers like Doug Easton came along. Uh, uh, Doug Easton uh, met uh, Saxton Pope when he was a young man, was enthralled with archery, uh, started making his own bows and arrows, and eventually started making aluminum arrows, uh, which were so much more precise than the numbered arrows that these these old-time bow hunters used. It's just a matter of progression. And... Uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw in a shameless plug here because uh, like most longtime bow hunters, I've used uh, uh, different brands of equipment and different models of equipment. But when I picked up my first uh, Hoyt bow in 1984, it was a Hoyt game getter bow with solid limbs, uh, solid fiberglass limbs. Um, I fell in love with that bow and I've been shooting Hoyt ever since. And I didn't realize it at the time until I started uh, talking to folks like Randy Walk. But uh, Hoyt has an incredible array of very talented engineers, more engineers that know what they're doing, in my opinion, than with any other company in the industry. And they just produce awesome products. And like we discussed already, guys like Randy, and he's not the only one on that staff. Most of the staff at Hoyt, they're serious hardcore hunters. They're not going to put exactly anything right. out the door and, unless they know it works. And and uh, so equipment is a big thing. To, I just I just got a um, a new bow from Hoyt uh, that, that I plan to hunt with this year, and the RX4. I, I'm an old time finger shooter, but uh, like many people, I can uh, drive tacks with a release aid. And I decided it'd be kind of cool to take my 200th animal uh, with the latest, greatest Hoyt bow. Hoyt bow. And uh, mm-hmm. so I've got it all set up now. And uh, uh, that's my plan. Uh, I'm going to tell a little, a, a real short story. A friend of mine named Doyle has a son named Riley. A, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, Riley was fighting his equipment. He was trying to shoot fingers. He wanted to kill an elk. Uh I told him to go get one of the early RX uh, compound bows from Hoyt. We set that bow up in less than 15 minutes by shooting through paper. And Riley's, uh, before the fact, eight-inch arrow groups at 20 yards shrank to uh, groups less than four inches at 40 yards. 
using a release wow. and that that RX compound. And and I don't recommend anybody shoot fingers or old style equipment uh, for themselves because modern gear makes you a more ethical hunter. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's all good. Also today, I think we we have we have the best of all worlds as bow hunters. Uh, game seasons on average are very long because game departments know we really don't impact the resource. They don't use bow hunting to to control animals. They use gun hunting. So seasons are long. Bag limits are 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 high. Uh, there, there's just an awesome opportunity to do what I like to do and what Randy likes to do. And a lot of other folks like to do. We like to go out and hunt a lot and kill less, but have extra tags in our pocket if we can. So that's all, right. all great. Yeah. Um, I'll let Randy chime in here as well, because I know he has some, some, some strong feelings about where uh, bow hunting is going as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I am, you know, me and you line up almost exactly when you think about the equipment component and, and what's been great about that. And, and it is, it's just a really good time, you know, for, you know, people to get involved in archery because the equipment piece is much easier than it ever was before. As, as you identified, you know, the equipment's better, it's easier to tune, it's quicker to get comfortable with, it's quicker to get sighted in. And that really also breeds confidence in you as a hunter um, and gives you, you know, that confidence to go out there and hunt, you know, and not have to worry about your equipment uh, nearly as much. And I think the equipment piece really brings a lot to that, to that table for sure. And, you know, with you hundred percent, when I think about where, where bow hunting's going, I mean, I think the future of bow hunting is, is fairly bright. Some of the, some of the things that I, I'm not so excited about, um, is, come about maybe because of social media um, and, and some of the access that social media has created to being able to view others' success and others' trophies. And I think there's a pretty big misconception about how easy it is to run out in the woods and harvest a big buck. Um, and I, and I think that's a, that's a danger. I think a little bit for some of our younger generations as they come up is to not get caught up in what you see on social media and you, you know, you, you see all the good videos, you see all the fun videos, you see all the big trophy animals and think that you can just, you know, pick up a bow and go do that. If you're going to get into bow hunting to see how fast you can get a really big buck pitcher you're probably getting in for the wrong reason, really. You really, if you can, if you can step back and think about what you're really trying to do is connect with nature and get out there and, yeah. and, and really understand and see what mm -hmm. the animals are like. And as Chuck mentioned earlier, and I love this aspect of bow hunting too, it's an up close personal, um, you know, experience to, to get close to animals. And if you can, if you can do that and enjoy that, don't get hung up on what the size of the animal is and you can have a tremendous amount of fun bow hunting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with what you were saying there at the end, 100%. You know, I, I started bow hunting in the mid eighties and I've, I think I've told both of you this before. It, it seemed to me like when I first started out, you could come into uh, a, a pro shop or a hunting store or a, the, the the processor or whatever, and you could have a doe. And half the people standing around you were like, "Wow, you did that with your bow!" And you know, it, it was it was exciting. It didn't really matter what it was. And I think that bow hunters, as all bow hunters, we we're we're all on a journey. And at the beginning of that journey, you're you're building experience. And what I the only thing that I see about it that I don't like right now 
is when I see some 18, 19, 20 year old kid in the Midwest who comes in and he's, you know, he's got game camera photos of three or four bucks on a property and these are his target bucks and he gets excited and he shoots like a 140 inch whitetail and he comes in and he's kind of kicking himself for taking this thing. I would have died if I'd have shot 140 inch whitetail <laughs> at that age, you know, I, and I, I would have been over the moon. And, and I think that guys that age before, you know, in the early portions of your career, before you've, uh, uh, you've accomplished a whole lot. And before you've gotten to that point where you're looking for additional challenges and things like that, man, put some of that side, some of that aside, um, get out there and connect with nature, just like Randy's talking about. And, and by gosh, I mean, acknowledge that anything that you take with a bow is a trophy. Anything that you take with a bow, in my opinion. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I I absolutely agree, and uh, uh, some folks might think it's kind of ironic that we're sitting here talking about Chuck's 197 Pope and Youngs and five world records. But uh, I want to say very clearly here, it's the means to the end that counts. Uh, I think there's a right way and a wrong way to trophy hunt. If 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 you want to go out uh, and and shoot a big rack in one day and then hang it on the wall and, and boast about it uh, to everybody. I think that uh, is the wrong reason. The right reason, mm. in my opinion, it's the process. Uh, yeah. You know, the process of three years to shoot a little two by two buck in California is as special to me as any uh, large set of antlers or horns I ever shot. Those large right. antlers and horns just allowed me to go out and do what Randy and 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 Danny and uh, most other bow hunters love to do, and that is spend a lot of time, get up close and personal, and enjoy nature. Uh, the, the, the what you get at the end is just a bonus. You know, some of the, the I've I've told friends this before. You know, part of of why I've gotten to the point where I'm trying to shoot older age classed animals and things like that is because when I was young, it was, I was thrilled when that animal was on the ground and I had to go and I had to pack that stuff out and take them to the processor. And it was truly a labor of love. The older I got, the more I realized that once one's down on the ground, that's when the work starts, you know what I mean? <laughs> and for, if nothing else, it's like, not only do I want to enjoy all those days out in the field, you know, and I, I, I don't want to take a, a younger animal necessarily just because I want to extend my season. I want to have that time out there. And then, man, I just want to, I've, I've done it enough to where, I'm not I'm not going to be depressed if I go home with tag soup on that on that trip. Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm going to work hard, I'm going to make sure that it's that it's one that uh, that that I want to work real hard for. You know, it, it's mm -hmm. just a little bit of the prog natural progression of things. So, well, Chuck, uh, any closing thoughts or statements from either you or Randy? Well, I just like to say that uh, I just hope that. Everybody who takes up bow hunting enjoys it as much as I have over the years. Uh, it's an awesome experience. Uh, it it's expands your outdoor horizons. Uh, it's it, There's nothing easy about it. Uh, uh, in spite of all the great equipment, the animals are going to kick your butt 
most of the time. Uh, but uh, uh, I've enjoyed bow hunting more than just about anything in my entire life. And I just hope uh, everybody else uh, has that same big grin on their face. Yeah, so much, so much the same. I, uh, you know, I, my favorite family photo that I have with my father is a big four point mule deer buck that he shot with a bow and arrow. And my brother's hanging off the side of that buck holding his bow and arrow. And I'm hanging off that buck with my bow and arrow. Um, and I have this, this picture above my, my desk in my office here at Hoyt. And I'm two years old at that photo, you know, holding that bow. And I you know, grew up as an archery brat. And when I think about what archery has done for me, what it has meant to me, what it has given me, how it's kept me grounded as an individual and that connection with nature and, and, uh, and all the things that I've got from it, um, just can't help but hope and wish that other people out there get an opportunity to experience just a little bit of that, if not a lot of that, because it's just been a fantastic, uh, you know, sport to grow up in and have as a family, a family sport. And the, and the other thing that I really, really love about archery as a general kind of sport and, and activity is it's timeless. I have this photo of me hanging off this buck when I was two years old. I listened to my parents talk about us as young children at two years old, three years old, just running around the backyard, shooting our bows and arrows, right? We were playing the game of archery, you know, at two years old. Mm -hmm. And just a couple of years ago, I helped my dad on his, what, what has ended up being his last mule deer hunt at 81 years old. And at 81 years old, we were stalking mule deer together and he was flinging arrows and having a great time. And so it's a sport that can span your entire lifetime. Um, and, and, uh, it's been fantastic for me and I hope a whole bunch of other folks out there find it to be fantastic for them. I hope so too. Um, for me, in in line with a little bit of what you were saying, Randy, a little bit different, but I love bow hunting because it is the closest that I get to being 12 years old again. Amen. When I'm out there, I'm not thinking about mm -hmm. anything else. I am, I'm like a 12 year old kid. And, um, you know, I, I hope that my children and, and my children's children get to enjoy this sport as much as I have. And Chuck, I want to thank you for number one, being on here. Um, like I said, it's a huge privilege. You're one of the first guys that, you know, I, I looked up to in this entire thing. Um, I, I remember you vividly and the thought that, Hey man, one day you're going to be interviewing this guy and, and on the Hoyt podcast is just mind blowing to me. Um, <laughs> But also everything that you've done, uh, boy, it steered the ship for the rest of us. Um, it, it's it, it's something that that can't be taken for granted. The impact that you've had on our sports history and where it's gone. Um, we thank you for being on here today. Uh, it's been a real privilege getting to know you. And one of the biggest thrills about it is as I've talked to you, I, I've realized that, man, this is a guy with similar ideals who I really in my heart believe did it for the right, has done it for the right reasons. You know what I mean? And that means more to me than anything else. But on behalf of Hoyt and behalf of everyone here at the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast, would like to thank everybody for tuning in today. And we will talk to you sometime down the road. See you soon.